Three, we are back in the football shed, the podcast for football fans that live in the wrong time zone. My name's John Hewitt and Jeff King is here. Good day. And Roger Gibbs is here. Hello. And the football's back. <laughs> Roger, you don't sound very excited that the football's no, back. No, I'm We're very back. excited. It's, it's so good having actual Premier League football. I've decided this week that Champions League football and Europa League football, I don't give a shit about. Having the Champions League, uh, the Premier League back is so good. It is amazing how long we could bang on about stuff despite there being no football. Do you remember the lockdown? We went on for about 10 weeks without anything to talk about at all. And now I've been giddy with excitement today to have a, to have a football shed where there's been football, real life football. And for everyone at home, Jeff has put his name on the recording software as Jeff Title Winners. So uh, we can tell where this is going to go today, I think. <laughs> um, Rog, did you bring a beer with you for the uh, first week of the Premier League? I did. Um, it's slightly warm, unfortunately, because I wasn't very prepared this week, but we'll um, power through. Uh, I have a, a ballistic Hawaiian haze pale ale. Wow. Sounds right. ballistic. I'm a little bit limited to uh, with with my choice, as I think Country I've already, Victorian pub. already <laughs> whinged about a few times on the shed. <laughs> <laughs> Ongoing segment. Um, Jeff, did you uh, bring anything exciting? Yeah, I'm on the gravy wine. The gravy, gravy wine? wine? You know gra- gravy wine? You know when you buy wine to go in gravy, but nothing else? <laughs> <laughs> and then you find yourself <laughs> drinking it? <laughs> I'm on the wow. bottle of wine we drove, we we bought to put in the gravy. That's the gravy wine. So do you put the gravy wine below the cupboard wine? Well, I mean, it wasn't originally designed for drinking. <laughs> Whereas at this fridge beer had the intent of, you know, pleasure. But gravy wine's just, uh, you know, for the your gravy. cheapest you could get. It's just gravy wine. How long Ooh. has your gravy wine been sitting there open? Don't know. It's quite warm. But like, could could we be talking weeks? No, no. Well, yeah, weeks. Obviously, weeks. <laughs> obviously, weeks. <laughs> no, not years. Well, just that's quite just a long a time. For, is Maybe it I'll red? Take gravy a bit ago. Is it red? <laughs> yes, red. Yeah, like we're, if we're right. talking several weeks, I have some concerns about the oh, taste. Uh, fine, taste. The, fine, the taste. Fine. Does it taste vinegary? Look. It never tasted better than this. <laughs> um, I bought some Aldi $5 wine, which always tastes great whether you put it in gravy or not. <laughs> and it doesn't cost a lot. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, every week we start with a question, but before we do the question, I'm just going to do a bit of admin. Um, if you want to get in contact with us or ask us a question about something, tell us we're wrong about something, um, you can find us on Facebook. Just search Football Shed or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and, of course, tell your mates so more people can hear us talk about football. Uh, This week's question, first up, is, Rog, what happened to your camera? Because your face has just disappeared. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This week's question is about Virgil van Dijk. Now, Virgil van Dijk, probably the best defender in the world. Um, has made two errors leading directly to goals in his past four Premier League games. Liability. How many games? How many games did it take him to make the last two errors that led to goals? Mm. Mm. 
It was more than four. I'll give you that. 53. 40. 154. Shut the funk door. Yeah. But does that mean we are seeing the decline of Virgil van Dyke? Maybe he's not as good as he was. No. I just, he, he looked, everything's so easy um, when your hair's that nice. And <laughs> I think it just, it just looked casual. Like you saw what he was trying to do and, you know, it can look, it can be a bit damning when the, you know, you sort of slow it down and you look at the footage and like, oh, that doesn't look good, Verge. But, um, you know, it's probably only a fraction off being, the right decision and i just i just felt like the liverpool back line in general just they they looked like it was the first game of the year on the back of you know coming into the pre-season a bit underdone because you have, haven't really had a pre-season you've just carried on from the last season and it's all a bit weird they kind of look like that at the back i was going to, well let's start on the leeds liverpool game and uh yeah do you think liverpool undercooked or is i i'm mildly concerned for liverpool I think there may be... Because they had a longer break. They weren't in Europe, so they had a longer break than most. So they should actually be a little bit more prepared than everyone. They don't really have to integrate any new signings. So should they be ready and... like, like They won. Let's not forget that they won. And Mo Salah was brilliant and everything. But I also... I'm just mildly a little concerned for them. Maybe they're losing it at the back of it. Hmm. I, I mean, I don't... I don't agree, John. I'm not. I'm not concerned for them, but I definitely think uh, they're not undone. But they underestimated Leeds. Uh, I, I think yeah. they thought that this was, um, you know, this was this was this was a cruisy fixture to start with. Of course, you know, it's a romantic fixture because of uh, you know Leeds being back in two big clubs. You know, there's a, there's a big story behind the fixture, but actually, when you go man for man, you look at the lineups. You know, Leeds had to integrate a whole heap of players. First, you know, a lot of pressure. First game back in the Premier League. I think Liverpool just took this game a bit too lightly. And I think Leeds got at Liverpool in a way that Liverpool are not used to. Um, you, you remember the, um, oh, the Champions League game where, where, was it Real Madrid were just completely undone by a, by a high press? Was it Man City-Real Madrid? Yeah, yeah. What Leeds did to Liverpool was almost exactly the same. They just got at them and they swarmed the penalty area every single time they, they got an opportunity to. And, and and by doing that, if you're a defender and you're half a yard off the pace, and I don't mean half a yard off the pace because you're not very good. I mean, you know, you yeah. underestimated the game. You're not as fixed. Mm. You haven't had a preseason. And you thought, actually, this was your last preseason fixture. Last year championship, you know, this was a good game to get up to the Premier League speed. And Leeds are going to swarm the penalty area with six players every time they get the opportunity. You, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to feel pressured and you're going to feel kind of rushed. And Leeds not only were were just kind of high energy, but they had high quality too. Some of their finishes were great. Um, and don't forget that all of Liverpool's goals came from set pieces. So if you're Leeds, you're actually going to be super annoyed that you go away to Anfield, you score three goals, you don't win and you concede four set pieces. That's bad news. However, Liverpool really got out of jail in this one. You're going to hate yeah. me saying this, but there's there's an intang- <clears throat> intangible aspect to this as well. Um, in that, I don't, I don't know if you remember all the way back to the start of last year, last season, which seems like a very long time ago, Liverpool won a huge amount of games 
by one goal. Mm. Mm. Massive amounts of games. And, and I reckon there was a good sort of 10, 12-week spell where we were talking about Liverpool winning ugly, not playing particularly well, but finding a way to get a result. And they did that for a lot of last season. I can't, you can't, I think Leeds were brilliant in this game and you can't underestimate that Liverpool still found a way to win it. And I think they are better than anybody else in the league at doing that, which is why I think they'll win the league. I, I, I don't that, think they're going to win the league because Everton are, but I, I, I do think that, um, <laughs> that, you're, that you're absolutely right, Roger. And especially, John, you started with that fact about Virgil van Dijk, right? If Virgil van Dijk is going to make errors that lead to goals or errors that lead to chances, I think it's something like in the last 12 months, he's made more errors that lead to chances than any other outfield player. But if you do that and win games, who gives a shit? Well, do, I was going to say that they got out of jail because of Mo Salah. Do, and hey, he looks pretty sharp, didn't he? Mo, I'm going to say, do we underrate him? About. Because he, he came in the first year and scored like 40 goals and everyone was like, wow. And now he's always measured against the fact that he scored 40 goals in one season. And when he scores 30, everyone's like, oh, Mo's off the boil. Do we underrate how good he is? Because I, I, he, all his finishes were brilliant. He just looked really, really good. Someone asked me this the other day, that, do we underrate him? And I, I like, who is underrating him? Who doesn't say he's amazing? Well, I just think we don't shout about how good he is. I think a lot of players, we talk about how good De Bruyne is all the time, or Van Dijk, for example, but we don't actually shout about how good Mo Salah is. And he really is one of the best five players in the world, and we should be screaming about how good he is. His finish was so good. Sorry, like It was, yeah. oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It's just one of those ones you watch over and over and over. Like you couldn't just, place, you it place so the ball hard. with your hands. You couldn't have put it any more in the top corner than he, than he put it. It was amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant. Is there an element of truth in what you're saying, John? I'm not sure. Maybe it's, you know, some, it's a bit like Messi. Sometimes when someone is brilliant so often and for such a long period of time, you do sort of take that brilliance for granted. You know, the way that Salah can just take the ball down or, or go past somebody um, or, you know, just create an opportunity from nothing. Maybe we do. And I think that's just a, um, a result of him being good for so long. On, uh, on Leeds, um, are they going to be good enough for the Premier League? Um, I, I I thought they were amazing to watch and their press was incredible and I'm really excited about watching them. I, they scored three goals from three shots. You're not going to do that every week. Are they going to be a welcome addition to the Premier League? Are they going to do something Small sample good? size. Well, you asked two questions there, John. You've said, are they going to be all right and are they a welcome addition? I think there's absolutely <laughs> no doubt that we're going to have a good time and they're a welcome yeah. addition. It, I'm... My personal opinion is I do think that they'll have enough quality because, as Jeff said, when with that, they've got a lot of quality in in their squad. But I think, all, like we look at um, Calvin Phillips' pass for Jack Harrison's mm. goal um, so for good. one, and Harrison's touch and and goal. Now I don't think Harrison's going to do that every week, but they've clearly got quality. But it's a bit like Liverpool. We talk about the way Liverpool play being like an extra playmaker because of their press. I think Leeds will create opportunities through their swarm. And it is it is amazing to watch. Like, I mean, I saw it a bit last year in the championship, but to sort of, you kind of forget and then you see it again. And it, 
it's different like nobody else does a press quite like this like the way you know for Leeds um third goal I think they had about six players in the um that clip yeah. 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 Which, which is by is a the great way finish. What a finish but it could have so been good. any one of another five players you know they just get so many players forward now I think they'll get caught out sometimes but I also think there'll be other teams that they'll overwhelm and, and I, I yeah. just I think they've got enough there um that, that they'll stay up and I, I think I, I, I can't wait to see their next game now like it just, I think it's set quite a high expectation because it was well, it was an amazing game so to go to your your question John the who is going to look forward to playing them we'll, we'll no talk one. about West Brom and, yeah. and Fulham a bit later in the shed but you look at Leeds no one's looking forward to playing them no. after that because you're right Rog you're going to get swarmed and because of that you've got to be on your game and the odds are if you're a, a Wolves or an Arsenal and you're on your game you're going to beat Leeds but if you're having a bad day, you're going to get rolled over, mm. and they've got it in their in their locker to do that. My and only they play Fulham is, next week. Well, I, th- I think they'll roll Fulham after what we saw this this week. Well, we'll, we'll get onto that game, I guess. But I think um, my only concern is their their record signing up front looked a bit of a spade, didn't he? <laughs> 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 Twenty nine million, million Rodrigo. Like, oh, there you go. Here's a penalty. That will do. Welcome it to the well, it was just it was a it was a, a forwards challenge, wasn't it, in inverted commas. Like it was what? a bit naive. Do you know how many goals he scored in the La Liga last season? Go on. Ten? Four. 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 To be fair Third to him, million. he does well, but he doesn't just play up front. He can he also plays in the midfield a fair bit and he did last year. So it wasn't like he played the whole year up top. And maybe they won't need him if Patrick Bamford scores as many goals. So um, Jeff, this is your moment. We're going to move on to Everton against Spurs. <laughs> now, before you get before you start, great that you won one nil. Great that you predicted them to win the league. But were they that good, or were Spurs awful on the day? John, shouldn't we make Jeff sit there and listen to us talk about Everton? No, we'll give him his five. Well, three minutes. <laughs> I, I think to answer your question, John, both. I think Spurs were tired. Um, you know, Jose is very good at distracting the the cameras, isn't he? And, and his comments about the preseason, it, it's they're not unique to Spurs, those comments. But you can tell that Spurs are not a well-oiled machine. They, they, mm. they looked a bit tired. We spoke about this before, about Harry Kane on the on the prediction show, about how Harry Kane is going to be exhausted for the first few months and he'll, he'll miss that time. Um, Spurs look disorganised. However... I've got to say, Spurs did have two really good opportunities in the first half, and um, Pickford was very much on his game. Uh, I think um, Pickford having the the safety net of Alan in front of the back four is really, really good. I think um, there's, there's a few things on this on this Everton side that are probably going under the radar that are really positive. I think the language barrier has been broken down. Uh, I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that practically. Uh, there is a defensive midfielder who speaks Portuguese in front of a Colombian who also speaks Portuguese. Uh, I think that is yeah. helpful when you're when you're creating a, a two defense, you know, two central defenders and one defensive midfielder triangle. That's a very helpful thing to do. And and Yeri Mina will look like a bit of a lost chicken last year. Whereas whereas actually he had a very very good game I think um, the communication with Richarlison is, is again it's another massive asset from the from the languages on the pitch Jordan Pickford looked much more confident 
another player who I, I want to um, pull out of this game is Andre Gomez. Uh, you know, there's been a lot to talk about Everton's new three signings, and it's been basically, you know, it's been the show of how great are they. And yes, I completely agree. But Andre Gomez had a, had a blinder. Uh, I think finally that bloke is playing with players who are as good as he was used to playing with, and that is going to only make him better. And and we saw some glimmers of of light out of Andre Gomez in the last year and a half, but you know, he was essentially asked to play a thugs game. Now he can play the beautiful game, and we can enjoy it. I've got what to say, seeing um, Decore, Alan, and um, Gomez in centre midfield as a three maybe go, ooh, that's quite good. Like, that's a three that I'd be quite happy to have in my midfield. Like, that's solid. And you've got a bit of craft and you've got a bit of creativity that can pass, but they're also going to work hard and make stuff happen for you. Did everyone play where you thought they were going to play, Jeff? We, we were speculating a bit about where... Um, Hammers might might line up at, at you know traditional number ten or or one of the wide positions in a three, but did it sort of go how you expected it to? No, it didn't. I, I, so um, I, th- I think um, I have a very similar. For those who listen to our Everton fan special, uh, was his name Tim? Sorry, I couldn't join you, Tim. But it's probably best that we didn't yeah, just have a massive love in. But I was convinced <laughs> that Ancelotti was going to play a four four two, and I actually thought he still needed another. Um, he sort of had a decision to make in his midfield because Ancelotti is very used to playing a 4-4-2 and bringing in players that have played with him in the past know how to play in Ancelotti's 4-4-2. And I thought, okay, well, where is he going with this? You know, is he going to build up squad depth? You know, essentially, if he's if he's brought those three players in, we're still missing a wide player. But actually, he lined up with a 4-3-3 with all three of the new blokes. And um, you're watching in that, in that centre three, you know, Alan and Decore, it was phenomenal. Decore should have been man of the match, in my opinion. He, the way he travelled with the ball is something Everton haven't had in a very, very long time. And we always said, like we said last year, the problem was getting service to Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. And Richarlison missed, what, five goals? He missed five shots. But that is yeah. fine, because if he's getting five shots, Richarlison is a top-class player. And if he gets opportunities like that every week, he will score 20 goals this season. Because he's just missing the opportunities he was having, he was having to create them himself last year. So I think that you know he's just completely rejuvenated the spine of that side, and not only that, but he's done it with players who are used to playing with him, which is the reason why when Spurs struggled to get players playing in a in a cohesive fashion, so a player like Holberg is a great example for Spurs looked completely lost because he's not played for Mourinho before. They haven't had that much of a preseason, so he's a bit lost, right? So Ancelotti's brought in players who are going to adapt quickly. He's essentially gone to the owners and gone, this is it. This is our gamble. I'm going to do it this year and we're going to just throw our dice. And, and DCL, scored a, DCL scored a wonder header as well. What a header. Like, proper, that was a, such a Alan Shearer header. Yeah, I, I think that boy is getting better and better. And just watch what happens when he's got service. Like Some of the best strikers in the world miss sitters. The thing is, they get so many opportunities because they are in the right place at the right time. And DCL, if nothing else, in the last 18 months, he's learned how to be in the right place at the right time. The thing Very is, true. He, can be, like, he can be in the right place at the right time and still miss. He still does that. We still see that. You know, He can be in the right place at the right time and it can come off his elbow. You're like, oh, DCL. <laughs> but then he'll score two goals that game. And none of them are very attractive. But the fact is, he bundled it in because he was in the right place. Yeah, I think he scored. He definitely scored more goals last year from the wrong parts of his anatomy 
like shin, <laughs> shin knee, chest, shoulder, <laughs> scuff. Like, Where's Rog? It was part of anatomy that even he wasn't expecting. It's not like he yes. went to school with his ass. It just bounced off his ass and went in. But that's because he's like, he's running at the right speed in the right place, and that's good. So I, I what think about Hammers, Jeff? There, I want to hear about Hammers. I mean, he's got a magical left foot, doesn't he? I'm only going to go on for another two minutes because everyone's going to be fucking sick of this. But Hamis Rodriguez is a top class footballer. And, you know, his comments when he was asked this week about whether he can adapt to the English game, he basically turned around and went, What are you on about? It's just football. Like, I'm good at football. So there's two goals, there's two teams, and I'm good at football. What are you banging on about? And I, and, and I love that attitude because he's absolutely right. I, I think he looked fit. He went into a Went into challenges hard. He looked fast. Everyone said he's lost his pace. But you don't really need pace. Like, you know, you don't need explosive Traore pace if you've got a left foot like James Rodriguez. Excellent. Uh, he created more chances in a Premier League debut this week than anyone has since 2014 when Alexis Sanchez first played for Arsenal. Yeah, I saw that. That is wow. excellent. I mean, I Good thought snap. it was interesting. He, he stood out as well, I think, particularly because Spurs didn't have... Uh, like for like player so when you sort of you know you automatically look at who the opposition is and you look at you know where's the creativity coming from in the Spurs side and that made the hammers stand out more to me because he looked over there and there wasn't anything now part of that is because Jose stunts any sort of creativity (laughs) wherever he can um but I I really I was really impressed with Hammers for his first game and just just sort of fairly seamlessly, um, you know, fitting into the into the system and uh, rolling I, the ball around. It was it was it was great. I thought that Everton were very good. I thought Hammers was very good. All the new signings were very good. They looked strong. I my concern was a You're lack struggling of pace. Through this one, John. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. They were very good, but my my concern is a lack of pace. Um, yeah. If you play against a team that you need pace, a Leeds, for example, or something that you need pace against, that team that they played on the weekend doesn't have a huge amount of pace in the forward third, and that's a concern. And then you're Richardson probably going to have to play. Yeah, but he's the only guy that's quick, and he's not lightning quick, so you need to stretch the game a bit. Yeah, I, th- I think and, in um, situations like that, they would bring on players like Bernard and Awobi. But they would do it with a more creative midfield. I think if you look from a Spurs perspective, Rog, I think you're spot on. It looked so contrasting because Spurs didn't have that. I remember a time when Spurs were an average side, but they had Raphael van der Vaart. Mm. You remember that? Yeah. Now, you used to watch or that Luka Modric. Well, yeah, they used to, used to watch that Spurs side. And then Van der Vaart would get on the ball and you'd be like, oh yeah, here we go. He would create something. He would see a pass. He would chip a ball over or dink it in a way that no other player on the pitch could and by doing that he would suddenly create space and create pace and create opportunities that the rest of the team thrived on I was watching Everton and I was thinking oh geez I'm looking at that evolution of a football side when you suddenly land a player like Van der Vaart was in that Spurs side Everton for the first time in the last 20 years have got one in in, in James Rodriguez it's incredible what about Steve let's Pino? move on Oh yeah, obviously Steven, Steven, I mean, I'm, I'm ignoring Stephen Naismith because, you know, <laughs> the single greatest winger of the modern era. Um, let's move on to Spurs um, because they were dog shit. They were proper <laughs> crap. And um, Jose, like we've all watched bits of the Amazon documentary. 
they all looked miserable. They all looked miserable on the game on Saturday or Sunday, whenever it was. Um, he's already complaining. He's already digging out his players, saying they didn't want it enough. They didn't care enough. Now they're going to sign Gareth Bale, maybe, to rescue it. Gareth um, for the rescue. Oh, and, and Regulion, a whole and new left, on the left back. whole new left yeah. side, which I do um, think they and, need. But they play away in the Europa League against... Uh, a Bulgarian side on Thursday night and then they play the early game on Sunday against Southampton um, I I just can't see it working I don't know how they're going to make it work it's I I just think mid-table obscurity already see I'm I'm thoroughly excited to see what Spurs fans, fans think so we've got our interview with Spurs next week with, and um, yeah. I can't remember the chap's name but I'm really looking forward to talking to you uh, because I want to know what you think of Jose Mourinho and I, I want to know whether our viewpoint is skewed because of, you know, not his Chelsea days, but his Manchester United tragedy. I, I think I want to know whether I'm missing something because what I see seems like it's as obvious to everyone else as it is to me. And his old trick of putting up the smoke screen and deflecting, and it's just not working anymore. And his, his way of managing a side is that he will get a chance and his team will score that chance and he will absorb the rest and yeah. I'm not sure that there's a place for that in football anymore. No, and because he, he came out, didn't he, and said the first half was quite good because they had two shots um, mm, that made Pickford work. Which, it was awful. They played crap. And anyone can lump the ball forward and get a chance. Like, that's not playing football And I well. just think there's such, there's such a limited shelf life to it because all your players are going to be so unhappy. He alienates players anyway, but just the way that he plays football... Is, is miserable. And the thing that surprised, I agree with you, John, the thing that surprises me is that I still see, I still see pundits and I see quite a few people and, and I've spoke to some, some Spurs fans this week who are still quite optimistic about Jose, you know, excited about Gareth coming in and, um, but, but thinks that Spurs will go okay. Now I have Spurs plummeting this season for a reason in my predictions and I'm pretty confident about it. And I mean, this game just reinforced that to me. Those did not look like a happy bunch of players that, that want to play for their manager and have a, you know, believe in the way that they they're being told to play football. And I think that's a big part of it is it's very hard to be successful as a team. If the players on the pitch don't believe in the mat, you know, what the manager's trying to do, and the th- like, who can blame anyone that plays for Jose because it's so miserable? <laughs> It'd be crap. If if you were Son, you'd be like, "Oh, I'm really good." And like a couple of years ago, people were talking about him going to Barcelona or something. And now you're just like, "Oh, I've got to do loads of defensive work and just maybe get a nod down from Harry Kane and hope something happens." Like that's not playing football. That just or, sounds or Deli Ali, the same. You know, he yeah. does. Deli Ali does those little things that you don't quite expect and um you know off the cuff uh you know pass or just it's you know sees things sees the game a bit differently and it's all about those um you know those little moments that's his game like he's not going to run a game for you but he might win it for you and i just think the way that spurs play just or the way that Mourinho's philosophy doesn't allow for that kind of football Let's move on to some of the other teams that got wins over the weekend. So Chelsea, Arsenal and Wolves, who I guess at the start of the season, they're all aiming for top four. Um, I think that's their aim. All got wins, pretty good wins. Um, where do you want to start? Anyone got any uh, preference? 
Well, I guess it's um, hard to look past uh, Willian's debut for Arsenal. Yeah, he was pretty good, wasn't he? Yeah, he, okay. he was excellent. Well, on that, I have a question. I was talk- thinking about Willian, and before he signed, everyone said, oh, it's like a three-year contract for a 31-year-old. What are they thinking? What are they doing? Or that's why Chelsea didn't give him another year or whatever. Maybe you should just sign players that are good and forget about their age. <laughs> like, <worked> forever, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because Willian's and like Juventus have done it for years. Juventus signed Perlo when he was like thirty-four and went, "Well, he's brilliant, isn't he?" So we'll have him. We'll give him a three-year contract. Who gives a shit? We'll get. We'll win the league two next two years. Um, and it makes me go. Well, sometimes when a player is really good, and it's obvious that Willian's going to do really well at Arsenal. He lives in the town already. He's going to just slot into that team and be really good for them. Why don't people just give him the extra year? Why didn't Chelsea give him the extra you're just, year? You're just trying to get Paul Scholes back, John. 100%. You're right. You're absolutely right. Willian was always going to be excellent. The fact that Chelsea wouldn't give him three years is a, is a travesty. And I, and I think their policy has changed since that. I think that's taught them a lesson. Why let Willian go but sign a 36-year-old Thiago Silva? Like it, there's no cohesion <laughs> in that policy at all. But he, he was excellent, I think. Um, but I say he was excellent. Arsenal were okay. Fulham were good. But Fulham mm. have got no centre forward. Mitrovic was on the bench, which I think is a is a shame because he might have done something. But Fulham played good football. They passed the ball around very, very well. We watched this yeah. game together, and um, yeah, Mitrovic is in, was injured, so he's not fully fit. So that's why he started on the bench. But yeah, we were all saying whilst watching this game that Fulham actually were unlucky in that first half. They looked okay, not amazing, but they looked like they could play a bit. Um, but they just didn't have that cutting edge. And then Arsenal were just lethal when they got their chances. They put them yeah. Away. Although I, I, I've been really annoyed about all the commentary around this game because it's all been, and I, I don't want to. I mean, I always Arsenal bash, but I feel like <laughs> there is. I have some some ammunition this week because all the all the reports on this game are about how good Arsenal were, and, yeah. and I. I did not see any of that from what I watched. They did not start playing football until they were 3-0 up. Their first two goals were very, very lucky. Uh, Aubameyang's finish was great. You know, we, we, But we know Aubameyang can do that. But I, I thought largely it was a fairly disjointed display from Arsenal. You know, they they had a goal from a corner, which was appalling marking from Fulham. Horrible. And then the, the first goal was just a bit of a pinball and, you know, ends up with Lacazette and, and he scores. But I actually think Fulham took the game to Arsenal and they were by far the best team until Arsenal scored, I think. So I I don't think that this game answered anything about Arsenal for me. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think that some of the punditry around it is is lazy in a way because they've looked at the result and gone, oh, 3-0 to Arsenal, Bamiang scored a great goal, you know, easy win. Whereas I actually... Yeah. Uh, you know, nothing. I didn't see anything there to me to say that Arsenal will be challenging for, you know, top four or you know, nothing the big other big teams would be worried about. Apart from and playing think, badly and winning three 0 I suppose. But I, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe there's that side to it. But I think the other side to that is Fulham as well. And I don't. There's nothing there that I learned from their display, and I thought they they looked good, they played good football, but were a bit naive and undone with you know, a little bit of top-end quality uh, in defence and attack, which is kind of... And I think that's 
that's their issue. I think we'll be quite impressed with the way they play, but my concern would be that doesn't keep you up. You know, you, do you think you they've know. made? Um, do you think they've made any progress since they went down in what you saw at the weekend? They've, well, they've made progress in the fact that they haven't spent a hundred million this year and just gone. <laughs> well, they've still got yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they've only got two of them. They've got two of them back from loan. Um, and one came off, um, and I can't remember his name. Anguillo. Yeah. Anguillo. Um, came off the bench. But they, I, what I like this year is that they've kept the team consistent for the team that came up. And Scott Parker looks like he's going to give them a go and go, let's play the same way, which they weren't that brilliant in the championship. They weren't like expansive yeah. or playing a new way. They were pragmatic. They won games. They won ugly if they had to. Um, and they got across the line and they relied on Mitrovic. Basically, Fulham, if Mitrovic scores 20 goals this year, they stay up. If he scores 10, they go down. That's it. I I, I think you might be right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. The Fulham season's done. <laughs> um, let's move on to Chelsea against Brighton. Um, Chelsea played all their millions of new signings. Um, and then had to rely on a kid that was a homegrown guy scoring a wonder goal from right back, Reese James. Oh, how good be... was it, that goal, though? Oh, so good. Um, but uh, I, I thought Chelsea looked okay with their new signings, but they looked a bit disjointed. Good to see Trossard on the score sheet for Brighton. Um, straight off, straight off Chelsea. Not giving a shit about Chelsea. Just <laughs> no, I, I, just, I just think that, um, that this result flatters Chelsea. I really do. Yeah, I, you're, I agree, you're, yeah. Like you're spot on, John. They've, they've done all of this work, and Jorginho, James, and Zuma are the ones that um, that make a difference for him. I mean, Zuma's shot was deflected in. That just miss. Um, you know, misplaced the goalkeeper. I just, you know, I love how much you dislike Chelsea. No, I don't, <laughs> look, look, I don't dislike Chelsea. I actually, last year, I enjoyed Chelsea more than I ever have before. Now, that is a, that is a relative statement, okay? But I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But what I think is a real shame is, is that what Chelsea are doing this year almost goes against the things that I liked about Chelsea. I loved yeah. seeing their kids and I loved seeing the enthusiasm and the, the it being okay to make a mistake as long as you're learning. Like There was this feeling in, in Chelsea last year that, that was like they were actually investing in their own future. And what I've seen this summer is like, well, actually, okay, well, now we're saying, right, we invested in our own future, but the now you've got to fight for your place. Now, I get that. From Frank's perspective, I get that. He's like, okay, these kids have got to go, they've got to fight for their position and not go, well, I'm the only centre forward at Chelsea, I'm Tamri Abraham, great. But I think he's almost gone too far and he's almost crowded them out to the point where they're now going, I've got to go out on loan or else I'm not going to get any game time at all. Or they're adding this extra pressure to the time where they step on the pitch going, if I don't make uh, a positive impression in the 20 minutes I get, I won't see another game of football for a month. And by doing that to an 18-year-old boy, it's very few 18-year-old boys who are going to do a good job in that environment unless you know you're actually going to get the trust of your manager. And actually, I, I think he's gone too far. So this game didn't solidify that or go against it. it wasn't quite a three-one. They deserved the victory, but that's as much as I've got. I've I got did like. Another... Uh... Oh, sorry, got John. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, um, you know, did this game convince either of you that yes, Chelsea have spent a lot of money? Have they gone out and addressed the flaws in their team? No. Nope. <laughs> so <laughs> that. You know, that, when we saw their signings, that's what we said. And I, 
I mean, it's it seems terrible to say it every week, but I mean, ha- having a a seventy five million pound goalkeeper who's a liability is still a goalkeeper who's a liability. Mm. Yeah, and I'd like to be fair to Chelsea, they don't have Thiago Silva yet, and they don't have Chilwell yet. So that's two of their back line that would probably play. And they played Marcus Alonso, who's possibly the worst left back on the planet. We can't um, say that a thirty-six-year-old man is the savior. I'm not saying he's the savior, but I'm saying he would be their point. He's, he's players, still good, though. He's 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 excellent, but really, like when I say they've gone the opposite of last year. Yeah, you're right, John. Thiago Silva will probably start every game. He'll add maturity to that back line and Cheerwell will be first choice. I don't think that Cheerwell is as good as the price they paid for him. And I think Thiago Silva has got, who knows, six months, 18 months? What is it before the decline starts? And the, the thing is, you, you don't know the decline has started until you witness the decline. And when you witness the decline, that's because you've made mistakes. Which means yeah. that and that is literally a time bomb. Not literally a time bomb, figuratively a time bomb. It's waiting for errors. We're going to wait for errors and then go, oh, no, maybe Thiago Silva has passed it. Why put yourself in that position? I, I did enjoy uh, Timo Werner coming out afterwards and uh, after playing against the Brighton three centre-backs going, oh, I've never done that before. Like, oh, <laughs> they were massive. massive. Yeah. <laughs> they were all like yeah. five and just kick you and stuff. Yeah, I, I did I, think Brighton were actually really quite good. Um, and I think that the their right-back, Lamperty, who's actually signed from Chelsea, was brilliant. He just kept running down the right wing and offering a bit. And like I, I like Graham Potter at Brighton, and I think he's going to get something working. I was a bit sad that Lalana got injured. Um, do you know when was the last time Adam Lalana finished 90 minutes of football? Oh, or, go on. Two May, seasons at least. May 2017, three yeah, years go. ago. Oof. He hasn't played 90 minutes in three years and he didn't make 45 minutes in this one. So, um, Jack Wiltshire like in disguise. I feel sorry for him. Um, I mean, he is a, he is a prick, but I feel sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, um, John Jimenez yeah. is the greatest striker of all time. He's a Man United striker. Yeah. Why aren't you signing Jimenez? Get rid of so, like crack, crack boy Greenwood and get... <laughs> crack boy Greenwood. Hippie crack. See the stuff about hippie crack? Because in the start, it's probably not true. Sorry, 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 mate. It's probably not real. But they say no, that it was real. It's, it's from um, it's from two years ago. But they decided to put it out this week mm, whilst uh, he's course, having a bad run. They're a bunch of bricks too. Yes. Um, Wolves beat Sheffield United two sorry, nil. Not and I feel bad for Mason now. He's just a kid. I'm giving him a hard time. Sorry, Mace. You listen to this, crack boy. He'll get over it. He'll get over it. Um, yeah, so I well, I predicted Wolves to come fourth uh, this year, and I've repeatedly said on the shed that I don't think Raúl Jiménez is that good. I think he's overrated. His goal was brilliant at the weekend, but I still can't stand that everyone says, "Oh, he's the best number nine in the league." John, that is he's a top okay. quality finish. That is so it's, hard to do to do that with yeah, your amazing with such power. It, it doesn't, and the thing is, it's not just that that's a hard finish. To, to choose that finish in that position, so many players would just try and leather in it. They they try and take a step back and just put their laces through it and see what happens. But that type of finish in that position is just so mature as a player. And how many times has he done that? Like he's not in, 
I'm not going to say he's not impressive because he scored about 76 goals last year. But just like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he scores, he scores some goals that are certainly not, they don't look intended, right? But he's got to be an intelligent finisher to do that. Lewandowski scores goals like Calvert-Lewin. That's how he gets to 45. So I think Jimenez is top draw. Yeah, he's, very, he's a very good footballer, John. He's good, but I just think he's a bit overrated. But I, I just thought Wolves looked really on the ball and like they are up for this season and ready and they've had less time than a Spurs for example to get ready like Jose's coming out and going Wolves don't have breaks they just play all year round they just keep going they're just machines they join the Sunday league on the off season but no Europa League so they're they've got a free run this year yeah which I think is going to be a big help Um, quick question on Sheffield United time for panic stations I know it's one game in and pretty early, but have Wolves played in a way that they went, we know what your back three do, and we know that the either side of them, they push on and they attack down the wings, and what we're going to do is push our wide guys on, and we're going to play balls right over the back of the head as soon as we win the ball. It was quite simple, quite direct, but very effective against Sheffield United. And I'm concerned that everyone's going to look at that and go, oh, hang on, here's a blueprint to breach Sheffield United. Let's just do this again and again. No, I, th- I think Sheffield United are more dynamic than that. Like We acknowledge what they're excellent at and we we did all year last year. And obviously Wolves exposed that twice in the first 10 minutes and then Sheffield shut up shop. I think one of the, you know, there, there are some teams in this league that are really suffering with not having fans there. And I think Sheffield United are one of them. Um, they Their 12th man is incredibly important to them. I, I think they, yep. you know, their crowd make average players excellent because they're fighting for something. I, I don't think they've been found out, John. I think they're... What they do flummoxes very good coaches and very good teams, whether you know they're going to do it or not. It would, no one's naive enough not to see it. If you've played them once in a year and you're going, whoa, what's Jonathan Fleck doing there? <laughs> then the time you play him a second time, he won't surprise you, but that still they do you like a kipper. So I, I don't think that this is an indication that they're gone. I don't think they're going to have the season they had last year. But I think um, Wilder's an astute manager. They're just fine this year, I reckon. Yeah, I, I agree with Jeff. I think you know second season syndrome is always a, a thing for promoted teams, and so inevitably those discussions will come up. You know, even after one game. But I don't see him as the type of manager that is a one-trick pony. I think he, as Jeff said, I think he's a tactically astute manager. He's intelligent. And I think, you know, if teams start to target them in a particular way, then that will mean there's space in other areas and, and he'll work. I think he's got enough about him as a coach to to work through that. So, I, yeah, no, I, I my reasons for Sheffield United panicking would be more around you know, the quality of players they have at their disposal and their squad depth as opposed to, you know, their their style of play under Wilder. Yeah, nice. Um, let's move on to Newcastle against West Ham because this game, I, I found this game fascinating because Newcastle beat them 2-0 and looked really good. Um, Callum Wilson and Hendrick... Jeff Hendrick scored on their debuts for Newcastle. I love the fact that Callum Wilson and Andy Carroll played up front together. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, let's just put them up, two, two up front, one big bloke, one really fast bloke. Big Steve man, Bruce, just, Yeah, just hoof it forward. Let's go for it. Um, 
And it was brilliant. I kind of really enjoyed it. So, but, two wingers, guess, Ryan Fraser, Matt Ritchie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get crosses in. It's like um, Blackburn in 1995. So I'm kind of excited about Newcastle because it's, yeah, it is like going back to 1995 and old school football. But shit, West Ham are screwed, aren't they? Oh, no. Look, okay. A few things for you. First of all, Steve Bruce is so fat. Have you seen Steve Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> that, that bloke used to be a professional sportsman. And you look at him now and you're like, Mate, you've been on the gravy wine. Like, oh, have you seen um, Neville Southall recently? Yeah, but he he was always between the sticks. He was he, like he well, always he's always half half Nev. He was big yeah. Nev when he was playing. He'd half let himself <laughs> go. But Steve Bruce used to play for Man United. Look at him now. He's basically Tinky Winky. Like it's outrageous. <laughs> anyway, sorry that that wasn't my point on the game. Um, I think that. Uh, David Moyes has a reputation for being a defensive manager and that game did him no favours. Firstly, West Ham had some very good chances. So this game, look, when you talk about lazy journalism, John, uh, sorry, Rog, uh, in the in the last game, I think this is a bit of the same. The, the headlines write themselves that for Newcastle, both their debutants scored, they had a clean sheet. Um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a, Perfect game, perfect Premier League game. But I actually think this was this was a fifty-fifty. I really do. I think that had you know, firstly, had the VAR rules not changed, it would have been a handball, and and uh, West Ham would have had a penalty. You know, it hit um it hit a, the elbow armpit zone. The but yeah, that's the, because it was like part of the body shape, or whatever it is this year, which I do think is the right change. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get on get on to that. But had it been last year, that would have been a penalty. That would have changed the game. I think West Ham's had some chances in the first half that shouldn't be overlooked. But when you look at West Ham's bench, and this is my this is my problem if I'm a West Ham fan. But Yarmolenko, Lanzini, Haller, Felipe Anderson, all on the bench. They are the mm. most creative players at that football club. Uh, they, they played start. last night in the EFL Cup. And they won three nil, and they had a ninety nine million pound front three yeah, against like that. some crap. Hallas two. So when you look at the players they played, Mark Noble, Declan Rice, Fornells, Suchek, uh, I, I think you know David Moyes went into that game with who he considered to be reliable. Right. So at the end of last year, uh, post lockdown, post COVID, David Moyes realised that players like Felipe Anderson and, and Lanzini were just unreliable. They, they were sheer class, but unreliable, which meant that he went with, um, he went with a right back up front, didn't he? <laughs> he went with that Mikel Antonio <laughs> as, a, as a centre forward, and he did that for the last whole stint because at least he works hard, right? The problem that I can see for West Ham this year is that David Moyes has taken that period where he had to get results into the first game of the season. And if I'm looking at that West Ham bench and I'm looking at that West Ham starting 11, I'm thinking, well, if this is when you're on an even keel, a clean slate, and still you're choosing those who you feel is reliable, and to no disrespect, but against Newcastle, I get it if you're doing that against Chelsea, but a game against a team that you think West Ham, you believe you're better than, and you've at got, home as well. You got absolutely. You got you got huge problems. So, so I'd be concerned if I was a West Ham fan. But yeah, I would also look at that and go, there is a lot to work with there. Your bench is excellent. If if for whatever reason David Moyes can actually get them gelling, there's something in that team. And I I agree with Jeff. I think in this game, for one, West Ham had some decent 
chances before Newcastle scored. Uh, I think of this the Suchek header for one. I also think Suchek's really good. I think um, mm. that was a smart move getting him back after his loan spell last year. And I, I actually, having watched this game, I think both teams will be fine this year. I think both of them will. You know, I don't. I don't see West Ham you know, smashing it up into the top half or anything. But I think they'll I think they'll have enough certainly to to stay up. Really? I think West Ham are yeah. fucked. I think they're down. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think there's a lack of desire and there's an obvious like Moyes is as we we're talking about that front three, Moyes is gone, you guys I don't trust. I'll put you in the EFL Cup on a Tuesday night when it's cold and don't really care. So he yeah. has a hundred million pounds worth of player that he doesn't trust. And Mark Noble's come out and said about the selling of Diagana. We've talked about that previously. Like, there's unrest there. The there owners is. are looking at selling. Um, there was a bid from an American company or consortium or something about sell- buying the club. So I, I think it's in a big mess. So I, I can see them having an awful season, basically. Yeah, I think they've got. I mean, I, look, you, I don't think they're going to be great, as I said, but I think they'll have enough. To me, there is enough quality in that team and that squad to to stay up. If they don't, it's an indictment on the club. West Ham but, are always the team that are too good to go down. and then They are. Down. That's very yeah. true. Yeah. But credit to Newcastle for, again, the away win. Yeah. Who new signings scored? I mean, Jeff Hendrick had about enough time to drink a cup of tea and have a hobnob inside the West Ham box before he could do anything. <laughs> I'll pay the goal. Um, good signing. I think he's been he's been a very good player for Burnley for a long time. And I, yeah, I, I think that was a smart a smart signing. And and do you know what with with the some of the signings they brought in, I feel like there's a bit more to Newcastle now than I mean even Andy Carroll being fit. But I I think it's last season it was St. Maximan or Bust. And I kind of feel like they've they've added a, a little bit more to that this year. Yeah, I there's agree. less reliance. Increased the quality, the average quality of the side, and they've done so very astutely. They, they've pillaged relegated teams um, and teams that are uninspiring, and that they've sold a dream of a you know one club city that's that's on the way up. I, I think Steve Bruce deserves a lot of credit for getting over the the big stick that we batted him with when he when he joined. <laughs> yeah. Um Jeff, you mentioned VAR earlier and you wanted to talk about VAR a little bit just to say it was better this weekend. Is that that's right? Perfect. I'd say it's absolutely perfect. I'd just just tick box VAR done. Great. I, well, I what, thought it was the, not what, the referees still not going and looking at things. No, on the he did. He did. Oh, I did. The, oh, okay. The Palace game. So there's an incident in the Crystal Great. Palace game where, um, oh, what was it? Was it an offside? Um, I can't remember now. Or was it a penalty? Oh, no, it was a red card. There was an incident in the Crystal Palace game where a player got a red card. I'm sorry if I can't remember his, his, his name. A player oh, got a red yeah, card. Yeah. And it was a straight red. It was, t- look, Two players dived in. One was slightly before the other. And I'm sorry if I can't remember the names off the top of my head and watched a lot of football this weekend. However, the referee gave a red card. Everyone looked a bit confused. VAR said, you might want to have another look at that. They didn't say it's wrong. They just said, you might want to have another look at that. And he walked over, looked at the telly, rescinded his red card and gave a yellow card. And there wasn't a single player on the pitch that contested it. They all went, fair enough. We didn't think it was a red card either. And he went back on the pitch and he started playing football again. So I think, first of all, that is absolutely excellent. Second, the change in rule for handball. It's not any point of the arm, no matter whatever. It's 
arm being in an unnatural position and there's a point that has actually been defined of what is the arm and what isn't the arm which as you saw in the Newcastle game last year and the reason why David Moyes threw a hissy fit afterwards saying it was bad officiating is last year that would have been a handball the interesting thing is the if the referee in that game would have given a handball VAR still wouldn't have said it wasn't a penalty because it was right in the area that was bang on VAR says that's not a clear and obvious, Rog. They've gone back to clear and obvious. They go, that's not an error. And because that's not an error, VR didn't, didn't kick in. So the referee, strangely enough, could have given it either way because it was a 50-50. But what that does do is it reinforces the fact that the final say is the referees. And we're not going to some phantom caravan somewhere going, yeah. this, yeah. this Which feels better to me. Of course, because yeah, I mean, the man on the pitch is making the choices. I've got a question about the um, the handball one though, which is, and I don't know if there was an example of it at the weekend, but what are, in terms of how it's applied, if there is a handball in a build up to the goal, are they going to apply the same? There were a number of one, you know, times last season where it inadvertently brushed the one single arm hair on a player, and the goal was ruled out because of supposed handball in the build-up. Are they still going to apply that no, or, or not? No, so okay. they've now added a, a phasing play rule to the handball in the build-up. So if the handball directly leads lead in the same phase of play, so if I if it scuffs my arm on the way to passing it as a through ball and you score off the end of that through ball, that's a handball. But if it scuffs my arm on the way of passing it to a player who then passes it on the through ball, it's not. Because right, but what about the second motion? The instance where it's not the second motion, but because there were a number last season where it was, you know, immediately. I'm bored now. Bored now. Don't care. Hold about on. VR. It was immediately before a goal, but the contact was, you know, the player didn't even know it had touched his arm. It was such a faint contact, but the only person that picked it up was VAR. I'm just going to say they fixed, they fixed it all. They fixed it all. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds great. <laughs> I think I have a feeling that the first week of last season's, uh, we, the first shed of last season, we talked about VAR for half an hour. So keeping it down to three minutes was pretty good. Well, that's pretty season. good, I think. Yeah, yeah. we're improving. Um, a quick run round the other game. So Palace won 1 0. Um, Zaha got a goal. Can I just um, say something on this, John? I yeah, know you're, yeah. you know, you're right, having a run round. But the, um, is it weird? So we got used to last year having players. You have to change club before the season starts, right? We got used to it. Mm. Now, Wilfred Zaha is scoring for Crystal Palace and they're winning 1-0. And he might just bugger off in two weeks. Yeah, And, and that, to me, now, oh, we were so used to that. You know, we were so used to there being three year, three weeks of Premier League when the transfer window was still open and everyone complained about it. And now, having seen it the other way around, even though everyone's whinging that it was too short, I'm looking at Zaha score Palace some points. I'm like, well, actually, that's not right, is it? Because because then I'm also looking at someone like Danny Ings. I'm thinking Danny Ings at Southampton. He's just lost a game of football. He lost a game of football. Was it was it 2-0? Or was it Southampton mm, got beat? 2-0, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 2-0 against... Um, oh, bloody hell. So Palace beat Southampton. Danny Ings must be, he will be fending off offers, in my opinion. Danny Ings was excellent last year. Everyone's seen that Southampton took a punt on him. He was injury-free and he was excellent. You know, Southampton can sell him a dream before the season. But if they lose their first three games, 
it's going to be much harder to sell him the dream when there's a week to go before he leaves that football club. So I look at it and for both of those sides, I'm like, this isn't right. I don't like this. I don't think no, anyone's going to buy Wilf Zaha. Who's going to buy him? No one. The I only team I can I, see is like a Bayern Munich or someone. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I just don't think he's quite good enough. I think he's going to be one of these players who whinges every season and ends up playing his whole career at Palace. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. <laughs> you don't think he's ever a missing winger? <laughs> um, <laughs> the other game we haven't spoken about was Leicester beating West Brom three nil. Um, all I want to say on it is that don't underrate Leicester, don't underrate Jamie Vardy, and why have West Brom? bought a 437-year-old Ivanovic. (laughs) 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 They bought Branislav Ivanovic, who was so slow six years ago for Chelsea. Like, he can't do it at the Premier League. Yeah, he was slow when he was a kid, let alone when he's 40. Um, How old is he? How old actually is he? 36? 36. Yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, that's... I mean, they weren't, like, screaming pace before that signing. That's not not great. My... um, the only thing I've got in this game that's of any substance is Jamie Vardy's second penalty is one of the best I've ever seen. Very good penalty. Outswinger yeah. into the side netting is just so cool. I love it. Um, before we go on to side stories, Aston Villa have given Jack Grealish a new deal. So he signed a five-year deal at Villa. So good for Villa. Bad for me because I want him to go to Man United. Um, although it just means we'll have to pay more next year when we sign him and they go down anyway. Um, and they've also signed. <laughs> oh, that is um, so petulant of you. <laughs> Such a Man United fan thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be receiving some hate mail in the week, yeah. John. Yeah, rightly um, but, so. But no, to, on Villa have signed Ollie Watkins from Brentford, who I think is really good. Um, and they've signed Emily, I can't say his name, Emiliano Martinez yep. from Arsenal, the keeper. Um, and they bought Matty Cash from Not For- Nottingham Forest already as well. So they spent 60, 70 million again. Like, you, you, you can't, they, they're pl- the way they're setting up, they're not expecting to be in a relegation battle. But I can't see them doing anything other than just surviving if they survive. Hmm. I mean, Grealish is a, mass- is a massive coup for them to, to keep him. Uh, and if he has bought into the fact that they're building around him, I think the credit to them. Um, I'm not seeing an improved level of quality. You know, like we spoke about Newcastle, where they've improved the average. I'm not sure Villa have done that, even though they've spent a lot more no. money. I still don't think they've totally done that last year. So it will be interesting to watch how it transpires. But you're right, I, John, if they go down, it will be harder to prize him away and, and he'll get more discontent. Yeah, they signed. They signed uh, Wesley for like twenty odd million. He was Lashley. crap. crap. Yep. Then they got that the um, guy from Sorry. Tanzania, first yep. Tanzanian in the Samata. Premier League. Zamata signed him for a fair bit of money too. He's also not very good. <laughs> I actually don't think that Ollie Watkins is great. Oh, he's really so good. I, I like Ollie Watkins. No, I, I don't. I think I. I don't. I know John quite rates him too. I, I don't agree. I, I don't know if he's going to be clinical enough for the Premier League. So they've all got you know eighty million pounds worth of striker running about there that I don't think he's going to get them that many goals this year. I completely agree. I, I think they're they're in a relegation battle whether they want to be or not <laughs> <laughs> right let's move on to side stories has anyone got any uh side stories they want to 
share? Yeah, the only the only thing on my list this week is I think it's quite a positive step. So do you remember that um, there was a study done, uh, which is the worst way to start any story. I'm so sorry. Mm. You kind of, oh, there, there was, was a, a study, study done. Believe me, there was a study by people. All right, Rog. There was a study done, <laughs> <laughs> a study done Rog, science, um, about the the racial bias of commentators. The, yes, the you talked about this last end of last season. Yeah, yeah exactly right. So, so um, where you know players um, players of ethnic minorities were, were were called quick and athletic, whereas kind yeah. of Anglo-Saxon players were called intelligent and wise, and 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 you know someone put all of this stuff together and and pulled it apart and was like, okay, this is a problem. In, as a result of that, the BBC have listed a whole heap of footballing phrases that they no longer allow their commentators to say off the back of that wow. report. And I think it's, it's absolutely excellent. So it's stuff that you wouldn't even, um, as an Anglo-Saxon, you wouldn't even associate, but it could be, it could be offensive to others. Comments like nitty-gritty and sold down the river and uppity and blacklisted or a black mark or whiter than white phrases that have a historical significance with racial divide, but aren't kind of clear and present to those who are, you know, maybe unconsciously using them for inappropriately. So the BBC put a band on him. I just think that's a step, massive step in the right direction. That's really good. Um, Rog, have you got anything? Yeah, I was going to say that slightly surprised coming from the BBC it kind of they've also given some some women pay rises which I was also surprised about because the uh, BBC is essentially becoming uh, Fox News um, <laughs> oh god here we go I hope I'm continued to be to be proven wrong but um, <laughs> I, I I did uh, this, this go on, some, granddad tell us a story this isn't so um, exciting or a good news story, I guess, but I think it's something that's very real at the moment that we, you know, we're excited about the Premier League coming back, but, you know, the reality of the situation we're, we're in hasn't gone away. Um, and I think, you know, football is still very fragile at the moment. I don't, I've been sort of following what's happening with the EFL. You know, we, we talked at the end of last year about the potential salary cap and what was going to happen. And and the latest thing is that the EFL have, you know, very openly admitted that a huge number of their clubs are really struggling. And the longer lockdown continues, you know, the more concern, uh, concern they have about, clubs being viable um so at the moment the efl are negotiating with the premier league about additional trickle down of funds essentially a bailout of the bailout, football league yeah. from the premier league and so it's just been reported in one of the uk papers um that the efl is asking for 22 million from the premier league clubs for every month that the season goes without crowds now i it's not a lot of money. For- oh, sorry, it's not million. a lot of money and per month, yeah. Now, but I think I also think this is a good approach, and I hope that you know because it that for a long time the Premier League has had its own way. I mean, yes, it's got its own governance structure, but it's been you know this golden goose, um, and it just can do what it likes. And then there's the rest of the football pyramid in in the UK that sort of just sits in its dust and you know i think 
to have an approach where there's some recognition of, you know, the 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 extra financial clout that the Premier League still has because of the, the TV money and trying to, you know, contribute to some of these clubs surviving is the right thing to do. And so I, I hope that something, you know, I hope they can come to an agreement. I feel, I, I don't know. It just feels like that's a, the right thing to do yeah. to me. And, and it's probably one of the only ways that a lot of the EFL clubs can save themselves. Because and left to their million, own devices, they can't. You know? Not a lot of money from a Premier League. Like if it's one point two million from every club or whatever it is to make up the twenty two million, that's nothing. Spurs are about to spend that a week on Gareth Bale's wages. Like just yeah, do yeah. it. But he makes money for Spurs. I, I, I'm going to put my neck on the line here and say that that's just not going to happen. Premier League clubs will not vote for it, and it will not happen. And and that is because pre- the Premier League is a business. Football football is magical and wonderful and part of the community, but the Premier League is a business. And if you are Starbucks, if you are the biggest fish in the pond, and I tell you that there is a there is a crisis in the coffee industry, please give some of your profits to all of the little baristas up and down the high street to keep them alive so that everyone still loves coffee you're going to say no you're going to say if they were good enough they'd survive and if they were bad enough they won't and why would i prop up someone who is a competitor to me making a profit it's just not going to happen but shouldn't the gov- shouldn't there be some aspect of the governance in football doing the right thing for football in the country and trying to the premier league is is an independent business model it's it's not yeah. the football league i understand if it's the championship but the premier league is a profit making business as a as a entity unto itself i don't think it's yeah. going to happen rog i'd love it if it would but i think it's it's bloody unicorn no i agree i, I as far as i'm concerned one of my most uh, hated things in the world is when I think Jeff's going to be right. And he's not <laughs> going to be right about Everton winning the league, but I think he's going to be right about that. <laughs> um, I got a couple of quick side stories. Um, Leighton Orient won in the EFL Cup last night, 3-2. That means they play Spurs in the next round. And Harry Kane sponsors Leighton Orient's shirts. So I... Oh, yeah, uh, he does, yeah. Well, he, he, he pays... On the cards. Yeah, he pays for the charity to be on the shirt. Which I Let me guess, there's some kind of legal binding thing that he can't play or he's breaking the rules and Spurs are going to get kicked out. Probably. Um, and the six fastest players in football in 2020 have been released. Ooh. Do you reckon you could name any of them? Um, Triore. Can I... Correct, he came third. Can... Oh, like top speed. How? speed. <laughs> what do you mean? What's the metric? Well, because there's acceleration, there's speed. Are we just talking about last year? Are we talking running with oh, the ball? Are we God, talking running without his, the ball? Just the fastest speed clocked on a football shirt last sure. year. Pitch. Yes. Mm, Ronaldo. Ronaldo's sixth. Bellerine. No. So first is Alfonso Davis. Second oh, has. Wow. Um, Hakimi, who was at Dortmund, has just gone to Inter Milan. Third was Traore. Fourth was Mbappe. Sixth was Ronaldo. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up was because fifth, Erling Haaland. Now, Erling Haaland is six (laughs) foot four, brilliant at being a big striker. He's also the fifth fastest player on the planet. Like, why did Man United not buy him? And why didn't Man United sign (laughs) him again? I'm going to get sick of you saying that, John. But I know. We've got like 10, 10 years yeah. of him saying it. I'm going to say it every week until we pay £150 million to buy him. 
Um, it's end game <laughs> time. So, Rog, you won last week, so it means you are one nil up. Um, so it's Jeff and I's chance to uh, get even. Um, ready? Over to you, Rog. What game are we doing? Oh, this is very exciting this week. Uh, I have gone back to 2016. Oh, February. Yep. February. The 14th of that month. Oh, Valentine's Day. Romantic. Now, this is, there's a big game happening this weekend. I'm, I'm pandering to Jeff's excitement this week. So we've got an Everton West Brom game in February 2016, which is the last time that West Brom beat Everton Ooh. in the Premier League. <laughs> Until Saturday. One <laughs> <laughs> um, so nil to West Brom. Who are the managers? Game was played at Goodison Park. Um the managers were Martinez and good old Tony. Oh, Pulis. Yeah, I forgot he's at West Brom. Who goes first, Rog? Uh, John, you can go first. Seamus Coleman. Seamus Coleman, correct. Uh, Phil Jagielka. Correct. Leighton Baines. Oh, John. What? Come on. Leighton Baines Leighton played every Baines game. Baines was on the bench and didn't come on. Oh, so I lose a life. Um, Lukaku. Yes. Lukaku played. No Johnny West Brom Ev- players? Jenny or- Johnny Evans for West Brom. It's too early. Johnny You're Evans right. is correct, John. Oh, no. Um, Gareth Barry is correct. Um, West Brom, did they have Chris Brunt? Chris Brunt came off the bench. Oh, go again, John. Go again. Uh, oh. Tim Howard in goal. No. Oh, <laughs> Johnny's gone. He was on the bench. I feel oh. like John was very, very unlucky there with, with um, Baines and Howard both being on the bench and not playing. Like, that's a bit bizarre. Oh, rubbish. So, did, did Stephen Naismith play? Uh, no. Did Kevin Morellis play? No. So Rob Les was in goal. Uh, Coleman and Jagielka, you both got Funes Mori. Um, and left back, I thought you might have got when there was no Baines, but was Oviedo. Oviedo. Of course. Uh, and then McCarthy and Barry in midfield. And then uh, Lennon, Barkley and good old Tom Cleverley uh, with Lukaku up top. Oh, it's horrible. Um, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> Osman, Delafeo, and Kone off the bench. Um, West Brom, wrong one. West Brom had Rondon up top, uh, Berahino, uh, James McLean, 
uh, Jakob, Fletcher, Sessignon, Chester, Olsen, Evans, and Dawson. Look, that's oh, not God. a bad West Brom side. And Ben that's Foster really, in goal, sorry. It's not a bad, not a bad side. No, it's a crap it's not. Side. That's a Tony Poulos. didn't score it a goal. Tony, it would have stayed, stayed up, though, John. Seven centre-backs. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is actually seven centre-backs in that team. <laughs> um, has anyone got anything before we go? No, it's just so fucking great to come back and talk about football. It's really great. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back next week. Um, if between now and next week, uh, also make sure you listen to our shed specials, our fan series, which is out at the moment. Um, we've got a few more coming out over the next few weeks. Um, don't forget if you want to get in contact, ask us questions, tell us we're wrong about something, just find us on Facebook or shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.